Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Tonight I want to talk with you a little bit about the work of the Spirit since we've been talking about Pentecost and the advent of the Holy Spirit here in this realm in which we live. And I want to begin just by sharing with you about God's plan of redemption. But first let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your presence here among us and for our teacher, the Holy Spirit, to guide us into all that you would have us to learn and to become. Give us ears to hear it. Hearts to receive it. Minds to be open to it. Change us by it from glory to glory. Conform us to the image of Jesus. That we might become that for which he shed his blood and offered his life. That we might let our light shine among men. That they might see our good works and glorify you our Father in heaven. That we would succeed in holding forth the word of life to the generation that you have called us to do. That one by one will impact the lives of people in our circle of influence with the life-changing truths of the gospel. That they too, dear Father, might be convicted and enter into the kingdom of God by the blood of the Lamb. Father, for all this, we'll give you the praise you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. God's plan of redemption is a wonderful plan. But it's a plan that involves all three of the Godhead. God the Father is the one who planned out redemption. He's the mastermind behind it, you could say. It's almost like running in a track meet where you've got a baton and a four-man, four-woman relay. He starts with the baton in his hand, and he plans out his great and glorious plan of redemption. He draws up the blueprints and designs it all, and that's his part in it. But then secondly, we have the Lord Jesus Christ. He consummates the plan, but in order to do so, he has got to robe himself in flesh. He's got to leave the glory world behind. He's got to come to this earth and live as no man ever lived. Do as no man ever did. Speak as no man ever spoke. And then he's got to go to a cross where he's going to die like no man ever died. He's going to shed his blood upon that cross. He's going to rise on the third day. He's going to take his blood to the high court of heaven. He will obtain eternal redemption for us. He'll come back to show himself alive, appear before many, even 500 at one time. Once again, to attest to the fact that he's the risen Savior and Lord, the Messiah of Israel, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Lord of glory. And through him, we find access to the Father. And then, of course, all that he did, all the Father planned, would be dormant if it were not for the work and power of the Holy Spirit of God. Once that baton was passed from the Father to Jesus, now handed off to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit descends, manifests himself on Pentecost. The temples of God become filled with the glory of Almighty God. New births take place. Divine enablement and empowerment and equipping takes place. On the inside of every individual child of God. The Father's dream for a family has been realized. And thank God, whosoever will can come 
and receive salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit also empowers us to serve our God, to live for Him the way He wants us to live, to do what He wants us to do, to enable us, praise God, to be witnesses for Jesus here upon the earth. Well, nothing can be done by the Holy Spirit who is here among us today unless someone makes a decision to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But yet no one can accept Christ as Savior and Lord unless the Holy Spirit brings conviction upon an individual. May we never forget, no matter how many signs, how many wonders, how many miracles take place in the realm in which we live, they're all designed for one thing. To grab someone's attention and let them know that God exists. That God is real. That His power is present. And they need salvation. Nothing more is more important than knowing that you're saved by the grace of God through faith. So that you can live your eternity with Him in glory. No one should want to ever spend their eternity in a lake of fire. And destruction forever. But we're all eternal spirit beings. If you get healed, thank God, but that's a temporal thing. If you get your financial needs met, that's a wonderful thing, but it's a temporal thing. If you're lost in your soul forever, that is eternal. And so the reason why the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in glorious and powerful ways, most importantly, is to convict the heart of an individual of their lost condition and to bring them into the family of God. That's why he anoints people. That's why he anoints praisers, musicians, singers, preachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets, teachers of the word of God, and so on. Missionaries to go to the missionary field to tell people that have never heard the name of Jesus that there is salvation in that mighty name. And so in John's Gospel chapter 16, I want us to read a few verses here and expound tonight on this work and ministry of the Spirit which is the title of my message, The Work of the Spirit. John 16, verse 7. But in fact, this is from the New Living Translation. It is best for you that I go away. Imagine him saying that to his disciples when they were with him for all those years. And now he's saying, I'm leaving you behind. Because, he says, if I don't, the advocate or the spirit or the comforter won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Notice he didn't say the sin was robbery, murder, or anything of that nature because they don't believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Before he returned to heaven, Jesus had the last supper with the disciples and he taught them about the coming ministry of the Holy Spirit. Some believe that discourse took place during that supper when it was the last Passover and he instituted the Lord's Supper. And he had this dialogue with them as they sat around that table and ate. He talked about the ministry of the Spirit and said in verse 7, why is it profitable? Why is it beneficial? For me to leave and to go away? They couldn't understand that. They couldn't reason with that. He said, because if I don't go, then the Holy Spirit's not going to come. Well, Jesus was a powerful teacher. Jesus was the best teacher there ever was. Yet these disciples were steer, still in 
uncertainty. They were in error. They were filled with prejudice. And you see it in their lives as you read the Gospels. So even though he taught them well, there was a lot they didn't understand and there was a lot they didn't know. They expected a temporal kingdom to manifest through Jesus. They didn't expect for him to die and leave them. As a result, he thought that they would, or they thought that he would take over the position of king over Israel and lead them to national prominence. But that's not why Jesus came. His kingdom was not of this world. Look at John chapter 16, verse 12. In verse 12, it says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them. You won't understand them. You can't hear them. All that he taught them for three and a half years, and they're still in prejudice, they're still in error, still in uncertainty, don't understand the eternal things of God. Why? Because they lack the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So he said it was beneficial for you that I go. I gave you an outline of things to come. I kind of laid things out for you, but when he comes, he is going to guide you into all truth. He's going to speak to you what he hears of the Father. He's going to show you things to come. He's going to take of mine and reveal them unto you. He's going to open up your eyes so that you can see beyond religious traditions and experience reality and relationship with the Father and the living God. He basically told them, you're not going to understand these changes. You won't understand them. You won't recognize them. You won't see them. You'll never learn them or know them without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So as far as he was concerned, they needed to have the Spirit's help to understand when the sacrifices will stop, when the priesthood will stop, and all these other things pertaining to the way they worship God in the Old Testament would be changed. See, they couldn't understand it. It actually took the ministry of the Apostle Paul to explain in detail these things to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. But because they possessed the Spirit as well, their eyes were open. Look in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 just to give you an example. Here it is. It's after the resurrection. They've seen Jesus alive. They ate with him. They handled him. They saw him. They spoke with him. And here's what they say. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Do you see where their thought life is? A natural kingdom. Not an eternal kingdom. And Jesus went on to say that, he didn't answer that question. He just wanted to say, look, that's, that's the Father's, that, that nothing to do with you. You're going to get into a powerful mind. Look at the next two verses, verses 7 and 8. The Holy Spirit is going to come and empower you. You'll understand these things. But he said to them, it's not for you to know the time of the seasons, which the Father has put in his own power. You shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. Notice the emphasis. Jesus says the power of the Spirit will come into you and you'll be my witness. Whether it's in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, you will be empowered by the Spirit to be my witness. What is a witness? One who testifies to the truth. What they've seen, what they've heard, what they've handled. They walk with him. They talk with him. They saw the miracles, the signs, the wonders that he did there before their eyes. They saw his death. They saw him die. They saw him after his resurrection. They are eyewitnesses testifying to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, the Messiah of Israel who came. And they didn't recognize him. But once again, you can see before the advent of the Holy Spirit, they're still talking about an earthly kingdom. Now in verses 8 through 11. In verse 8, when the Spirit comes... 
What he's going to do is reprove or convince or convict the world of its sinful state. Three important truths. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin. Let's start with that. The first and foremost important work of the Spirit is to bring conviction upon the heart and mind of an individual of their lost condition. And you might think, well, he's going to point out that they do these physical things. Like I said, maybe you rob the bank or, or maybe you've used wrong language. Whatever it might be in the natural. But no, that's not it. The sin that, as far as God's concerned, is the greatest sin is the rejection of his son. Those who reject him are living their lives in the chief magnitude of sin. You see, these Jews were guilty of that. They were very guilty of that. And you'll notice here in the book of Acts, chapter 2, they were guilty of it. They rejected him in John's gospel. They didn't receive him when he came. They didn't understand who he was. And you know, there was a time that Jesus himself said in answer to their question, tell us plainly, who are you? The Messiah? Are you the Son of God? He says, I have told you. I have showed you. I have revealed to you through signs and wonders and miracles and you still will not believe. They were without excuse. There was no reason for them to reject him as being their Messiah. If they would have taken the time to study the scriptures and find out what the Messiah would do, where he would come from, how he'd be, where he'd be born, and all those things, and then the signs, wonders, and miracles even raising the dead, they would have known. But no, they were too steeped in their religious traditions. So the Jews were guilty of having him crucified. In Acts chapter 2, Peter used this truth to convict them of their lost condition. Look at these verses. This is Peter, by the unction of the Spirit, preaching the first ever gospel message to, three, oh, to, to thousands of people that are there for the Feast of Pentecost, gathered together, mandated by the Lord, celebrating Pentecost in the city where Peter denied Jesus three times. And now, from a coward, he's courageous, he proclaims a message, and here's what he says to all those Jewish people that are out there by the power of the Spirit. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourself also know him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Can you imagine him saying that to all those people saying, you're the ones that did it. You rejected him. You didn't believe in him. You saw what he did. You heard his testimony. He tried to tell you who he was. You wouldn't listen as far as you were concerned. Look at verse 37. This ministry empowered by the Spirit brought deep conviction upon these people. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. You talk about a work of the Spirit. Nothing more important than that in any person's life. And he said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus and for the forgiveness of sins and be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the point I'm making is that the Holy Spirit has been unleashed over the world. And his primary objective is to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But the primary sin is not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and all that he has done. I'll never forget as a young teenage boy lying on my bed at night and beginning to sweat when this thing called conviction came upon my soul. I had no idea what it was. All I was aware of was a lost condition. I would wake up sometimes during the night in a sweat and say, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I would say things like, please, if I die, let it be a certain way. Well, I have a moment to pray a certain prayer, which I thought could possibly open up heaven's gates. But I was wrong. I didn't understand anything about salvation. But you know what? I was aware of my lost condition. I was aware that if I had died that moment, I'd be lost forever. And so I would cry out and say, I want to go to heaven. I want to make heaven. And God was gracious. He sent labors of love to my life as time went on. I rejected them at first because I didn't understand. Aren't you glad he doesn't give up no matter who you are? The Holy Spirit was always there sending labors across my path to tell me I must be born again. And one day it hit me when my father came into my bedroom when I was supposedly lying on my bed with pneumonia that I didn't have. I had a bruised lung, not pneumonia. But I was told, stay in bed, stay bed fast for a couple of days. He came into my room and brought with him his Bible and a prayer of salvation. He first of all read to me the book of Revelation, told me about the rapture of the church, and began to bring conviction upon my soul as to how the end times would be. He was big on that. And after he left my room, I laid there on my bed. I had the sinner's prayer in my hand. And conviction came upon my heart and my soul. I got out of that bed. I got into my prayer closet. Don't ask me why I did something like that. Opened up the closet door. Got on my knees in that closet. I took that sinner's prayer and I read it. I cried out to God. I still didn't understand salvation. I just prayed the prayer. I prayed that prayer for a few days. When I went back to work, I got on my crane cab on my knees and prayed that prayer again. Finally, I realized by the Holy Spirit, you don't have to pray that prayer over and over again. Just recognize the fact that if you called upon the name of Jesus, you are saved. A blood-washed child of God. And that's what I did. And I'll tell you what, to this day, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the conviction of sin. I'll never forget the conviction of a lost condition and the reality of an eternal hell that we all should really want to avoid but because of the Holy Spirit's working I was brought to that place in my life and you know what we should always be sensitive to that manifestation of the Spirit and also recognize the fact that he wants to use us as well to reach others with saving grace look at John's gospel chapter 3 and verse 36. This is true for everyone, not just for me, but for everyone. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Notice he didn't say, he that robs a bank. He didn't say, he that commits murder. He didn't say, he that's abusive or rude. He said, if you don't believe on the Son of God, then the wrath of God will be upon you. Imagine God's wrath being poured out on every, anyone. As a matter of fact, it was. It was poured out on Jesus, so it wouldn't have to be poured out on you or me. 
So thank God the work of the Spirit upon this earth is to convince and convict the world of its lost condition of rejection of Jesus and the need for every individual person, no matter who you are, to come to Christ. He is the only way to the Father. Look at John chapter 5. You see, the sin that banishes one from the presence of God and ushers them into eternity of suffering. In John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. What an indictment against the very people he came to serve. They should have known him. They should have recognized him. But they refuse for the hardness of heart. No matter who you are out there. Don't harden your heart to the things of God. Don't allow the things of this world to creep in. The devil and the flesh to creep in. And keep your heart hardened from the things of God. God's saving grace is for everyone. And if you're a believer and you've gone astray, follow the wooing of the Spirit as he tries to draw you back like the prodigal son of old who thought that life is all about serving myself. Life and finding who I am is found in other things. Maybe people, places, things, and whatever. He left his father's house for what reason? To take his inheritance and live the lifestyle he wanted to live. And when he went out there, he found out what life is really about. And the value of family. And the value of serving God. And when he finally came to his senses, we're told, he said, I'm going to go back to my father's house. So no matter who we are, where we're at, what we've done, there's always a way back. And I encourage each and every one of us to really reevaluate exactly where we're at in God. Secondly, he's come to convince the world of righteousness. First of all, it's the innocence of Jesus. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to give us a revelation of the fact that Jesus was and is the holy, immaculate, sinless Son of the living God who was righteous in all his ways. There's only one who ever carried out and fulfilled the law that was given to mankind. The first Adam failed. The last Adam, Jesus succeeded. And he walked with his father. He did everything he was asked to do. He always pleased him. He fulfilled every law. Anything written of him was fulfilled. Only Jesus was perfect in all his ways. So the Holy Spirit would come and convince the world that he's the standard. We can't be righteous in ourselves. Matter of fact, look at the book of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Jesus said, I'm going to the Father. And when I go to the Father, it's because he raised me up out of sin and death and restored my position in glory. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's Jesus. Justified in spirit by the Father. Seen of angels, preached to Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. God would not raise up an unrighteous man who died a criminal's death on a cross if he wasn't the Son of God who was without sin but our sin substitute. So we see in that verse of Scripture that God Almighty raised him up. And as a result, the resurrection demonstrates 
his innocence, and that's enough to satisfy whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or whatever your background might be. There's only one way to God. There's only one righteous before God. We can live our lives in our own self-righteousness, or we can live our lives clothed with the righteousness of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. You see, this view convicts us of our righteous, unrighteousness. Every single one of us is clothed, but with what? Unrighteousness before we're saved. And no matter how hard we try, what effort we put forth to try to become righteous in the sight of Almighty God, it is futile, empty. We can't do it. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. When he says you're clothed with unrighteousness. It's like filthy rags. It's like putting on or cloaking ourselves with things that are filthy. And we can't get them off. Because of Adam whose bloodline was tainted with sin. Everyone born into the world is born into sin by that bloodline. We are unrighteous before God before salvation. We are unholy before God before salvation. We are without God without hope in the world without salvation. We are clothed with unrighteousness, but yet we're trying to become righteous by doing the right thing. I thought when I was growing up in religion, I had to do this. I had to do that in order for me to be righteous before God. If I did the right thing, I felt better about myself. You know what? That's nothing more than religious practices, asceticism, trying to make me feel good. I did something right. All the while, I'm lost to eternity, not even realizing it. No matter what we could have ever done without Christ, we are lost to eternity. But we're convicted now that the righteous one did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the very righteousness of God in Christ. So the Holy Spirit convicts us that we are unrighteous and we need righteousness and we can't achieve righteousness on our own by our own works or efforts. And so what do we need to do? We need to look to the Son of God who became that sin for us and recognize that if we receive him as Savior and Lord, then his righteousness becomes ours. He clothes us with his righteousness. And when the Father sees us, he sees us in Christ. He doesn't see us in our fallen state. He doesn't see us separated from himself. He gives birth to us. And he makes us holy, righteous, unblameable, irreprovable in his sight. Colossians chapter 1 tells us. That's how he sees us. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, thank God for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, what a blessed truth. He knew we'd missed the mark along the way, but praise God, he's already made provision for us to be righteous in his sight. Finally, he has come to convince the world of judgment judgment. You see, God is a God of love and mercy, but he's also a God of justice and judgment as well. So the Spirit has come to reveal to us this truth. If the prince of this world has already been judged by Almighty God, then every human being on the planet will also be judged by the righteous God that we serve. 
judgment is going to be had. One day we'll stand before the throne of God. And one day we'll give an account of our lives before him. We could stand there on our own and we can say, I did this, I did that. But you know what? That will not open up heaven's gates. If we have to answer the question, why can I enter the kingdom of God and spend my eternity with him? It will not be because I've done anything. It'll be because of what Jesus has done. I will say I've accepted the blood of Jesus Christ for the salvation of my sin-sick soul. He washed me in his blood, pulled me up out of the miry clay, put me in his kingdom to stay, and I have given my heart, my life to serve him. I've denied myself, taken up my cross. I've followed Jesus all the days of my life. That's the only reason why I can gain entrance into your eternal kingdom. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. There's going to be judgment. And those that don't accept Christ, they'll be convicted. And they'll be judged. And they'll be sent into a lake of fire eternally. Something that we don't want anything to do with throughout the rest of our existence. At least we shouldn't. Well, this conviction of being eternally lost causes us to do what? To run to the cross of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is here to help people along the way. To run to the cross. To flee to saving grace. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you every fiber of my being. You know, God wants us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's talking about give him your spirit and let him recreate it. Your soul, mind, will, emotions, and intellect. Give him your soul. Allow him to renew your soul with his word and change your way of thinking. Your mind, the decisions that you and I make, whether to live righteous before God, to do what God has told us to do, to honor him, to keep his laws, his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments. To do the things that he said that we should do as outlined for us in scriptures. That doesn't mean you'll be perfect in carrying out what he said. But you're giving yourself over to do so. You're loving him with your decisions. Your heart, your soul, your mind. And finally, your strength is in reference to your physical body. You and I are the temple of the Most High God. And because we are his temple, we glorify him in this body and spirit which belongs to him. We take it to the places he wants us to take it. We do the things he wants us to do. We use our physical abilities to advance the kingdom of God here upon the earth. And as a result, of course, it honors him. It pleases him. So we see the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in the earth. And this is his work even today. He is here convincing and convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. These verses are a condensed version, we could say, of the work and power of the Holy Spirit. This is why he's come. Now for these things, for these three things, we see comprised the entirety of his whole agency at work in the earth. Even today he empowers those to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in revivals that absolutely shake the very world that we live in. You go back to the Azusa Street Revival when he poured out his spirit on that day of Pentecost in Los Angeles, California. Something that has been affecting and impacting lives ever since even today. As a matter of fact, this church finds its roots in that Azusa Street Revival. The revival of Pentecostalism in the world today. Churches like the Assemblies of God, churches like the Christian Assemblies that we are, being bored years later, born birth out of that particular work 
People that didn't know God, that mocked and scoffed, went to the place where the meetings were held. As they walked in one door, they were sin-sick sinners. As they walked out the door, the power of God hit them in glorious and powerful waves, changing them from the inside out, healing their physical bodies. So many miracles, signs, and wonders took place that it brought conviction upon their souls. They went back to their hometowns, and they began to preach the same gospel, that God saves, He heals, He delivers, He sets free, and He makes whole. We're a part of that work. And we're putting together something that will explain that to you in further detail. But you'll see that down the road sometime. But praise God, we are a part of that work. There's a lot of things that try to interfere with what God wants to do in churches, in families, and so on. My beloved brother and sister, I want you to know something. God is moving by His Spirit. And what we see happening in our country today, it's going to take a move of God to change people's hearts and people's minds. That's why we believe, praise God, for justice to flow like a mighty stream, righteousness to prevail, praise God, in the earth, and God to have his way on earth among men, to touch hearts, change lives, bring about peace in this land in which we live. I want you to see these closing verses in Acts chapter 2. It's all about salvation. It's all about saving grace. Look here in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It shall come to pass, this is on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached this powerful message, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. All the work of the spirit. And on my servants and my handmaids, I will pour out in, in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood, fire, vapor, smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. Now notice this. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why a mighty work of the Holy Spirit? To convince and convict people you need saved. That's why. Look at chapter 8 and verse 1. The church was being lax. They were not infiltrating the world. They were going from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. There's great conviction. They just... Killed Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And now all of a sudden, because of persecution, Acts 8, verse 1. Saul was consenting unto his death, that is Stephen. And at the time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered abroad. Now notice this, throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Notice that they traveled from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and eventually the uttermost parts of the earth. But now go on down to verse 5. Philip. Goes down to Samaria. And in case you don't know, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. There was friction, racism between the two. Prejudice between the two. But all of a sudden, empowered by the Spirit, he goes to Samaria. What does he do? He preaches Christ. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ to them. And all the, the people with one accord gave heed to the, those things which Philip spake. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits came crying with loud voice out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And look at verse 12. Yes, joy came by the power of the Spirit working signs and wonders. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. God is reaching out. Judea. Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Look at chapter 10. You see it progressing through the book of Acts. Here now the house of a Gentile. 
Peter is preaching at Cornelius' house, the, uh, the leader of the Italian band. While Peter yet spake those words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, the Jews, which believed were astonished. And many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Go on to chapter 11 and look at these closing verses here. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on all them. As on us at the beginning, then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost for as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and they glorified God saying, then God hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Um, do you see the work of the Holy Spirit throughout all this? His work is to bring people, no matter where they're at, to God's saving grace. To convince, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We should never lose focus when it comes to what church is all about. To what the Holy Spirit is all about. The number one need for all mankind to turn hearts around is salvation. And as a church, it's up to us to infiltrate the world with the life-changing truths of the gospel. Why are we in desperate need of signs, wonders, and miracles? To penetrate the very hearts and souls of the people. Jesus used them. The apostles used them. And we're no different than what they were. And lost humanity is no different than what they were back then. Jesus said in Mark 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, cast out devils. Speak with new tongues. Take up serpents. If you drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt you. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And they went forth. They preached everywhere of these signs and wonders following. And people were added to the church daily as such should be saved. My brother and my sister, let's not use our fo lose our focus. Let's remember what the power of the Spirit is designed to do. To penetrate the hearts of people. To bring them to God's saving grace. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for the person, the presence, and the power of your mighty Holy Spirit. May we reconnect with him in such a way so as to fashion ourselves, dear Father God, to walk in harmony with Him as He manifests Himself in these convicting ways. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. May we all ever have our eyes open to the fact that we don't live on this planet forever and soon we'll be in Your presence or banished from Your presence throughout all eternity. May your conviction now come upon every person at the sound of my voice. And may each and every one of us hear with ears that hear our need to walk uprightly before you. To serve you. To honor you. To represent you as ambassadors on this earth. You are a holy God and you've called us to be a holy people. May your spirit fall right now wherever we may be. May your glory manifest itself 
in waves of righteousness, holiness, and truth. May conviction fall on us all that we would once again challenge our own selves to rise up to higher places in our walk with you. May our worship be empowered by your spirit. May our words be with deep conviction of heart. And Father, may you be glorified in each and every one of us, your children, as we represent you here upon this earth. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.